In my decades of spirituality, one of the greatest things that I could ever do was being able to spend time with my teachers, whoever they were. When I was very young, uh, about uh, in 19, I think, I worked with the American Indian Movement in their armed self-defense occupations on the reservation. They were having these occupations because they asked the United States government to monitor their elections. The Bureau of Indian Affairs was corrupt and had uh, government officials in their pocket and they were making money. They were being called apples, red on the outside, white on the inside. And in response to a request for monitored elections um, of the corrupt Bureau of Indian Affairs government, the government moved in with weapons, tanks, armored personnel carriers, uh, AK-47. It was scary. And there was an occupation. <clears throat> and I went out there to help with press and fundraising and other activities. And I ended up... Um, with the Crow Dog family, Henry and Leonard both, and actually was able to travel uh, with Leonard and his wife for, I think, close to a year. And it wasn't just the teachings of a Native American medicine man, and at that time I wasn't really spiritual. I had met them through politics of peace and social justice activism, which was a huge portion of my early years, I think maybe about seven years solid, um, starting when I was, I had just turned 17. And the Vietnam War was still raging. And it was the off-duty times of actually seeing how Leonard lived, how Henry lived. Um, we met other people connected, uh, Richard Erdos, a big author who is uh, from Vienna, and he had been made an honorary Sioux, was Sioux Indian, and that was the, the joke on the reservation. And, and it was seeing how people who believed in things that I also believed in, how they lived their life, so that they weren't presenters. This was pre-internet, pre-social media, etc., and I found that so educational and inspiring and comforting. Like, this is how you get to live your life when you have these values, ethics, integrity, beliefs. This is what it looks like. Non-fake people. <laughs> oh, and they weren't perfect. They just weren't fake. And then when I was older... I was out in Arizona, and I was just starting to be, I want to say, pushed into spiritual stuff because it came and got me over and over again. I was a non-believer, um, skeptical, still am on every level. That's why I always look at science as well as the mystic, miraculous stuff. And I met my spiritual parents. They were in their 70s. I was in my early 20s, I think 23. 
And they had been in metaphysics for 40 years. Background noise. I am cooking for my dogs. Yes, I am. And I'm not ashamed. <laughs> Even though there are people starving in other parts of the world. So, yeah, I'm a little nervous about it. <laughs> so, um, they taught me things like remote healing, the use of a radionics machine, a meditation program based on the work of Pythagoras. I don't know if it was real or not. I haven't gone back to research it and see if it was true. Um, but it definitely helped me, for sure. And Walter was one of the most profound energy workers I'd ever met until I met my teacher, both Leon and Wang Lo Sin Si. <clears throat> and... It's probably because of them that I never got sucked into the New Age nonsense. I mean, I played with it a lot, but ultimately it was, it didn't have the authentic, energetic reality that my spiritual parents had. Walter would just put me on a massage table, put his hand on what I, years later I learned was the tontine, the energy center of the body just below the navel, and took me to different worlds. He just sat there. There were no sound bowls. There was no incense. There was no prayers. Just sat there. And um, sometimes I had friends with me, but they quickly got bored because it was no bells and whistles. But when I had friends, I would come out of the room and everybody would say, your whole face has changed. And you know, I would look in the mirror and it was almost like the bones had changed. It was unbelievable. And that's, I think, saved me from getting into the new age. And by the time I met my teacher, I'd probably had about 15 years of spiritual stuff under my belt. And I was sick of it already. I was sick of the industry. was growing. It was getting commercial. It was getting fake. Channel beings were cool. But they were just like, you know, disembodied beings. They weren't necessarily smarter, better, more wonderful. They were just non-corporeal. And that was fun for a while. But the humans who channeled them very often had pretty miserable lives, health problems, not good home lives. It's like, ah, this doesn't make sense to me. I'm not, I'm not buying it. So the big part about my spiritual parents, Marta and Walter, was that I got to hang out with them. Because when I hung out with them, I learned a million more things. Because like every other normal human, I had no idea of stuff that I did. So, you know, if I come to somebody with a problem, I'm going to tell them my version of what I think is going on. But somebody else might, if they knew me well, say I was in couples therapy, my partner might say, she does this, she does that, she does this, she does that. And I'll go, really? I didn't know I did all that. Because I didn't. Because most of us don't self-observe. And even if we do, we miss stuff. And I was very young at the time. So by hanging out with them, when I did things, like I remember one time Walter said to me, you can't sit down for more than like, you know, three minutes. And I was like, what? <laughs> what are you talking about? And he said, right now you're pacing. And I was like, holy shit, he's right. <laughs> I had no idea. So um, it was by staying with them that I had these little comments made to me 
Like, you can't sit down. You can't be still. Another time, um, and now I'm cooking for my cat. Another time, I was got a wave of energy. It was at Walter and Marta's house. And I was Miss, you know, Johnny on the spot, workaholic from my peace and social justice days. So, whoops. So, sorry for that interruption. I was kind of a workaholic, and I got this huge energy thing. And, and my response was, I just need to kind of, you know, keep going, get through it. And as I started to do that, Walter said, you're getting this huge download of stuff going on. You know, just sit there and let it happen. And I was like, what? Just sit there. <laughs> I don't do just sit there, but I did. And he was there, Marta was there, the household was doing its stuff. And other people, I think, came and went. They had a little office going by this time in their uh, meditation program and someone helping them with that and registering people, et cetera, all out of their house. And on the dining room table was their office. And they normalized for me that I could stop and experience this wave of energy and treat it as real and viable as having a class or reading a book or listening to, yes, a cassette (laughs) or a tape recorder. And it taught me to respect what I noticed and to respect the energy of something and to let it happen so I could be taught by this higher source. And they didn't have a name for it. They didn't call it God. I don't don't remember what they called it, but I think anything went universe, you know, whatever. They didn't care. So I learned that from them. And then when Marta would cook, I learned about more healthy eating. And when they talked about stories or people or um, Walter pointed out that we in our normal lives would have never been friends Big noise coming, hold on a second. First I cook the food, but then because they're super hungry, I have to cool it down with ice. So Walter pointed out that we would have never been friends in a normal life because he was super conservative and I was an ultra lefty. And here we were together in this profound encounter. He knew how much I loved him and Marta and he knew how much I appreciated just being able to hang out there and, and, and everything, you know, swim in the pool, go sunbathing, talk, listen, watch how they were as a couple, watch how they handled business, listen to how they answered the phone. It was just, wow. So I decided not too long ago to because this happened when I was traveling with someone that I would say things like, where'd you just go? And this would happen also if I spent the day with someone. I worked with a woman who had a horse and she couldn't figure out what was going on with our horse and why our horse was acting up. So we went for a walk with the horse and her. And all of a sudden her horse started jigging around. And she she took her a few moments to notice and she goes, see? And I said, well, you left your body. 
you completely dissociated, you checked out, you were gone. And she's like, what? I thought I had fixed that. That was the language she used. I've worked on that forever. Turned out she had been very heavily abused and how she used to handle it was checking out of her body. And she thought she had fixed it. Well, I'm sure she had improved it a lot. And there's my phone again. And she was completely unaware that whenever she checked out, so here she is leading her horse. Her horse is totally dependent on her, right, as animals are. So she checks out. And if you had someone like driving you in a car and they checked out, whether they were drunk or just you just saw they were like gone, wouldn't you freak out? <laughs> I mean, they're driving the car, right? So here's this person, got a horse on a row, and she's checked out. So yeah, her horse is like, get me the hell out of here. Apparently, the horse had given up on trying to wake her up. Sometimes animals will do that. They'll, they'll wake up their owner. They'll do something to put them back in their body. But I, apparently, this has been going on for so long, her horse just you know, was anxious. And as soon as she put herself back in her body, her horse was fine. And problem solved. It wasn't a training problem. It wasn't a horse personality problem. It was this simple thing. But if I had talked to her only, and we had a, a session, and she, of course, as like everybody, would have been on her best behavior, showing what she does with the horse, etc. Even if I had known this is what she did, I could have not told her this. She would not have believed me because she would say, no, I've worked on this and I don't check out and you're wrong and it must be something else. And then I'm never going to work with Dr. Marie again. And in some cases, I think I'll post a review. Unfortunately, in this day and age, those things matter. I hate to say it, um, but they happen. Dr. Marie sucks because she told me this and it's dead wrong. <laughs> So these things have to be shown to people because they don't believe it otherwise. And this happens a lot. And unfortunately, especially the work I do, because it has this new agey aspect to it, uh, when people go to therapy, they expect it to take time. But with the new agey thing, they're like, give me a reading and I'll fix it. And it's like, it's not that simple because if I tell you things that you don't know, why would you believe me? especially in one reading, especially if you don't have a history with me, why on earth would you believe me? You should be cynical. You should be cautious. You shouldn't just listen to what somebody tells you. So it takes time to have someone show you something, reveal something to you that you don't yet know. Same thing true, by the way, with spirituality in general. So that's why, you know, these great epiphanies you get at a workshop and everything are a lot of fun. But they're only to get you into the real work, which is being on a path. Come on, pups. Come on, Hoshi. Come on, pee. You can't perceive or experience or believe what you can't perceive, experience, or believe. There's just no shortcut around that. If you try to do it, you'd have to form a cult and say, Listen to me, I am your almighty leader and everything I tell you is true. That's, that's why people get into cults because, oh, I'm told everything right away and I don't have to do a whole lot of work. 
And we're programmed to be that way. I'm not blaming people who get into cults. Our whole culture is geared towards that kind of thing. So I started this new thing, I don't know what you call it, of spending a day with me because I'm a really great observer of human behavior as well as sensing energy as well as having a whole bunch of tools. And I remembered, I don't know why it took me so long to remember this, that, sorry for the noise, being with my spiritual parents, being with a medicine man, and there was plenty of others, medicine women that I hung out with, psychics I hung out with. I hung out with these people. I knew them. I saw their lives. And that's also what kept me solid on the New Age thing. I saw that their spiritual gifts had little, if anything, to do with having a good life. It was just some cool stuff, like being an artist. But if you wanted to have a good life as well, that's a whole other set of skills. So I saw a lot of the psychic new agey people become cuckoo, more cuckoo, or have cuckoo parenting skills and stuff. And it kept me from believing in the new age as a salvation. It was just like an artist community. You do art. That doesn't mean you're a good person. It doesn't mean you're not a drunk. It doesn't mean you're not abusive. I mean, look at Picasso. So I think... The, everyone that allowed me to hang out with them to see behind the scenes, so to speak. And to me, that's actually where more of my learning came. Same thing, by the way, with my teacher is that a lot of his personal life, especially in the early years, was very transparent. The group was very small, was like 10 people that used to go to his, at that time, American wife, who was also a shrink, and we used to go to her house and do these groups, and things happened, and people were acting culty, and uh, my teacher made some mistakes, and we all got to see it and see what happened and how it was handled, etc. And it saved me because it wasn't a presentation. It wasn't a mystifying, romantic uh, version of this path that I've been on for decades. So, short version, spend a day, and people go, oh, it's a lot of money. In one day, so much more can shift than 10 sessions where you are presenting yourself, and when people present, you can't say to them, you're presenting. You can't say to someone, you don't know what you don't know. But if it actually happens in front of their face, like the woman who checked out in front of her horse and she didn't know she was doing it, so she couldn't have brought it to me as a problem. She couldn't say, listen, I, I check out around my horse and she freaks out. She did not know that was the issue. Being able to observe the nuances of your behavior, your choices and how you are living your life, unfiltered, will give you, I want to say, a couple of years worth of work in one day, as opposed to sessions where people only talk about and deal with what they already know. Can you do this work in sessions also? Absolutely you can. You bet. So think about it. It's on my website. Um, I wish more people did it. I wish I had the resources 
administratively, etc., to set up a retreat because that also can make it happen. You're kind of on the same grounds with the community, with the teacher for a week and that can change things for you very quickly. But so far that hasn't happened. So hope to see you at Life Path Healings and more later.